0: Hello, this is steve from retro man blog and welcome to this very special episode of retro sonic podcast and i'd like to welcome mickey bradley bassist for one of my all-time favorite bands the undertones Hello, Mickey?
1: How are you? <laughs> i'm fine I'm, I'm great i love whenever someone says they like the undertones it still cheers me up after all these years
0: well i'm glad no oh, yes well, i'm glad <laughs> I, I certainly do but uh well i thought that i'd take this opportunity because um it came about by a bit of a strange circumstances in the fact that um, it was after your show down at the Delaware Pavilion in Bexhill on Sea. Yeah. And um, I'd taken along my book, which I'm going to hold up now, which is all very well on, a, on a, an audio oh, podcast,
1: <laughs> but it's My Life as an Undertone Teenage Cakes by Mickey Bradley. Yes. yes
0: available on omnibus <laughs> press
2: yeah.
0: and i've been yeah. mean, meaning to get that signed for ages because I, I do like to get my goodies signed and then i, I took it down to the to the show mm-hmm. um because I, I know as you know i know damien and um i was hoping to go into the sound check but i was a bit late getting down there so i missed the sound check so i thought oh god you know i wanted to get my book signed but we were staying in this bnb above a pub just opposite the venue so i took the book back because it was a bit heavy to carry around the gig You know, and I didn't want to sort of carry it around. I didn't want to expect to see you afterwards. I know it's big. You know what it's like after a show. So I took it back to the pub, and then after the gig, went back to the B and B. Thought, oh well, I enjoyed the show so much. I'll have a quick gin and tonic in the bar. Went down to the bar, and who should walk in but yourself and Mr. James Brown from Yeah, editor of Loaded magazine.
1: So I I don't really, I don't really know. Just in case you think that I always hang around, I met him in Leeds. A couple of years ago, he was along with somebody. After the show, I was uh, was out talking to people and this fella says, here's my friend James. And I said, how are you doing? And I kind of looked. I didn't really know him, but I worked at James Brown. And he was, yeah. And he was really, really nice. And since then, I've been in touch with him a couple of times. But that was the first time I had a proper... uh, proper meet up with him but it was very it was very entertaining
0: yeah it was great wasn't it and, and you I know you introduced you were well, you were dedicated um Jimmy Jimmy to him didn't you the, oh yeah yeah
1: oh you got always got to do things like that you know
0: so he was chuffed and he gave you a copy of his autobiography which is quite a good read as well no I bought that no. oh you bought it I bought oh, that, Steve. No. yes
1: I bought because I don't think it's I don't think books are that heavy to carry around oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> no I'm only kidding I'm only kidding i I, no, I had I, I had bought it, and uh, I said i have got to get somebody saying it. And it's a very yeah. enjoyable book, too.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I took uh, because I, I know it was a bit awkward because you know when you see someone in a pub and you're with him and you with some friends chatting, and, yeah. and I thought, oh, I can't really go and in- interrupt you. It's a bit embarrassing. But then suddenly, I think they played Teenage Kicks on the on the. I don't know if you remember, but they played Teenage Kicks over the on the PA or the jukebox or whatever. And then of course there were some yeah. quite a few fans in there who approached you, and then I thought. I'm going to sneak upstairs to the bedroom, get my book, and get it signed, and then excellent well, mission accomplished. Got a nice photo of you and James, which you can see on our Instagram page, uh, everybody. And um, and then I thought, oh, I'll take the opportunity to invite you in. So thank yes. you very much. No, no, not at all. Well,
1: no, not at all. No, um, it's it's. I'd say yes. You know, I can I can tell the odd story here and there. So
0: yeah. Well, I think um, Damien... <clears throat> O'Neill, your friend and bandmate, has sort of got a bit of a monopoly on our airwaves. Um, <laughs> do the, pod, the podcasts have airwaves? I don't know if they do, really. but um, They have bandwidth. Bandwidth, okay. Well, he's yeah. he's been monopolising our bandwidth um, over the past couple of years with The Everlasting Year and his solo projects. So I thought, well, it's about time we had another another undertone in the studio to uh, catch up on. And um, I thought it was a good time. hope...
1: And hopefully, I won't contradict what Damien said.
0: Well, well, you never know. That's the whole Un- point of unre-
1: this. What's an unreliable narrator? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, far away, I'll, I'll get most of them right. I'll get well, as long as I get a higher score than Damien in terms of correct answers. That's well,
0: I'll, I'll have to do a totting up process at the end then, and uh, we'll see. But uh, so I thought it's a good opportunity because you're just about to set off on your 45th anniversary of teenage <laughs> tour. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. I know. Forty-five years is ridiculous, and funny enough, Seymour Stein passed away on the day that we're recording this. So,
0: oh yeah, I just saw that. That's really yeah. sad, isn't it? You know, um, okay, yeah, yeah, because he plays a um, quite an important part in your your story, doesn't he? So, mm.
1: oh yeah, he does, he does. Yeah. We we signed to Sire Records in 1978. We signed to Seymour's Seymour's Company, and in fact, we
0: signed in Seymour's flat because the label was um, obviously you. I think you were chuffed at the time, weren't you? Because you've you just released the first single on um, Terry Hooley's "Good Vibrations," yes, and then from there you went straight to sign with Sire, and of course yeah. you were big. Um, you were saying that that was the the Ramones, Talking Heads, Rosillos have probably been out around them before before you had yeah. their Rosillos, and
1: yeah, yeah, the same year, uh, just about the year before they'd signed, mm. or they signed a year before us. Yeah, so yeah, it was Sire records, but to be honest, but the only record company that asked us. Yeah, <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> you know um they were well they were the first to ask us and they sent someone over they sent uh paul mcnally who was their the guy in charge of their london office sent him over to derry to the casbah to see us Hmm. and he went uh he he went to see us terry Hooley was there too and that kind of impressed us you know Hmm. and we impressed him
0: yeah did seymour actually go to see you play before signing or did he just send no no
1: no he heard the record He's a record man. You know how he was a record man. So he heard the record on, uh, on John Peel. He mm. was in England because he was going to the searchers. They'd signed the searchers. And he heard teenage kicks on John Peel. And basically he stopped the car. whoever was driving. Stopped the car and told uh, Paul, I want this, this record on Sire. So mm. Paul, you know, just rang Terry Hulley.
0: So you said there wasn't there wasn't like a load of record companies knocking on your door at the time. So it was not some- really no. I think once Peel started playing it, I, like
1: we didn't have a phone, but O'Neill's had a phone, and I think a couple of record companies may have phoned eventually. But you know, six months before we'd sent out uh, we'd sent out demo tapes, not to Sire, funny enough, because we didn't really realise they they were a possibility. Stiff, Chiswick, and Radar. Three, uh, the three. three best independents. So, and we got turned down by them all. You know.
0: Mm. Well, as it's a bit of a sad day, um, said Seymour Stein passing, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, yeah, really, really uh, bad news. I'm, I'm a like you. I'm a, as a music fan. It's it's one of those classic labels. You know, again, like yourself, a lot of my favourite bands are on there. So, don't, um, why don't you give us a, in a little tribute? Give us your favourite Sire Records. <sighs> First,
1: the first Ramones LP. It has yeah. to be the first Ramones LP. That was the first thing, first thing I ever bought on Sire. In fact, it was. A, I knew the Ramones before I knew of Sire. You know, because oh, yeah. you'd yeah. read about them, and uh, we we got uh, we borrowed a copy of the the first LP, and then Christmas 1976, I got a I got got it for Christmas, and uh, it was just brilliant, and I still love it, and it still is just such a work of art and such a. Mm. A life-changing record and such a a music-changing record. You know all the, all the, the things said about it. They're all true. You know.
0: Yeah. And do you have a particular uh, favorite track from the from the album, the first album? <laughs> it's hardly t- well. Bloods Creek pop, Yeah, Bloods Creek pop's just
1: fantastic. You know, although I, yeah. I, I like the the end. There's a segue to today your love, tomorrow the world, and all that. You know. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I like that that bit at the end. But you know, it's such a short LP. It's, it's almost difficult to talk about it in terms of individual tracks, individual songs.
0: Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like it's just like a work of art in itself. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, it's so basic, it's it's genius, isn't it? I mean,
1: Steve, what's your favourite bit of the Mona Lisa? It's like asking that.
0: It's like yeah. asking a question like that. It's, it's a good point. No, yeah. No, it's not really. No. <laughs> well, let's play. No, well, let's play. It's a classic, and, and let's uh, play Blitzkrieg Bop Oh yeah, and R.I.P. Seymour Stein. That was a Ramones classic Blitzkrieg bop and um, obviously that was an early influence on you as, as the undertones and um, what I thought we'd do in this episode is um, you know talk a little bit about you and, and your some of your favorite music really you know and so sort of how it has a bearing on your musical career over over the years you know and um obviously if anyone your the undertone story is um is well told especially in your book um thanks <laughs> <laughs> My life as an Undertone, um, Omnibus Press. Did I mention that? Yes, you
1: did. Um, Can always do with another one.
0: Yeah, yeah. And th- there's never really been a, a sort of um, a biography of the Undertones, has there? I mean, obviously there was like the documentary where John Peel went yeah. over and filmed it. There's never been a, there's never sort of been a um, a book on on the Undertones itself. You know, it's um, a- apart apart from mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go, everybody. No, thinking.
1: I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think so.
0: No. Mm. um
1: i don't know why although i was always worried whenever i was writing the book that someone would bring something out you know but yeah. no it's, who's who better to tell the story than than the bass player you
0: know? that's right exactly yeah always trust the bass player that's why I, I, I always say. trust the bass player yeah, yeah 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 so i mean as a band you know um you, you you obviously did you all meet at school you were sort of very young when you all met didn't you we were you must kind have known
1: of, your yeah, bandmates yeah. for many years now. Uh, yeah, well uh, nineteen seventy-four I started hanging around with Vincent O'Neill at at my he was in my class and he was friendly with Billy Doherty, and uh, I, I started hanging around their house. I always remember Vincent telling me that uh, his brother was in, or that Vincent was in the band with his brother. And I'd never known anyone in a band like that before. You know, and like my father played in a Cayley band in the nineteen sixties fifties and sixties, so I was kind of familiar with the concept of bands, but being in a a rock and roll band was just not that common uh, in Derry, you know. And uh, so I started hanging around with with John and Billy and Vincent and uh, eventually Damien, although Damien was a couple of years younger. And eventually Fergal, because we, we, got, we got Fergal to join as well. So, yeah, it it was kind of um, school friends together and hanging around in, in a house in Derry in 1974,
0: 5 and 6. Yeah, yeah. And 7 and 8. Yeah. And it's amazing, isn't it, that you're about to embark on your 45th Teenage Kicks anniversary. 45, today. yeah. 45 Can years you, of a 45. It's pretty, I mean, obviously, look at it, yeah. Fergal accepting the, the, the same band. It's the same sort of, all the same musicians, isn't it? As all those many years ago, you were at school together and yeah. rehearsing yeah, same. house. It's it's amazing that you've, um, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see that, you know, that you've managed to go through that as, as sort of. From yeah,
1: because for the last 20 years, it's been very much part time, you know, and we had four or five years where it was on, you know, full on um professional as in it's what you did for 11 living and that stopped then 83 and whenever we came back it was always going to be a part-time thing because you know you're not the same band and all that but i think the um the our work rate has definitely helped uh, yeah. to to keep it together you know cuz yeah. you know like every band there's always a, a bit of kind of tension and you know a bit of annoyance that arises from time to time um but you get older and you can cope with it, and then, as I said, because it's not all the time, it's easy just to, to operate. Also, there's a lot of you know, you it sounds corny, but there's a lot of love out there for the undertones, which yeah, still, yeah. which still surprises me. You know, and I'm not that's not false modesty. Um, but then, the the older I get, I can kind of appreciate. Yeah, you know, we are good and there is something um there's something uh, valuable about about playing these songs to uh, an yeah. audience that, that that like it
0: oh yeah i i agree and i think the, the recent shows um have been fantastic you know i mean i've seen a few over the okay. years uh, various sort of stages of the career and i i just think that the shows nowadays. I think sometimes you know maybe because you do like you said you get to that stage. I, I mm-hmm. interview a lot of people, musicians who are slightly get, you know getting on, not old but you know getting getting past all the angst. The, old, old. <laughs> okay, it's okay, mature, old. mature. Yeah, but but you know a lot of them now are enjoying it in a strange way more than mm-hmm. maybe they they were because they've. Hopefully, got through all the angst, the struggles, and they can actually sit back and appreciate it. You know, whereas at the time, obviously, you're in the thick of it. You've got all the press promotion, uh, you know, and all that to deal with. But yeah, 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 accept it,
1: appreciate it as well. You know, Mm. the older you get, the smarter you get. You kind of go, this is really a special thing to have. You know people, a lot of people would give the right arm to, to be in a band like this. And uh, we, we appreciate it. Well, I certainly appreciate it more, definitely appreciate it more.
0: Mm. So when you said you sort of formed really 1974, so it, it wasn't mm. like, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes, I think that Undertones are sort of like, a not a sort of later punk band, but because I mm. think your first record was, what, 1978,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the reason why it took, it's because we started from scratch, None of us had been in bands before. John could play some chords in the guitar. Bully could keep a beat, but we didn't have any. We had a couple of acoustic guitars. We didn't have any money uh, and all we did really was sit in John's front room playing playing records. Yes. So it took us a couple of years to, to learn how to be in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by, by the start of 1977, we were playing regularly in a pub in Derry, and we were at that stage. We'd heard the Ramones, we'd heard Nuggets, we'd heard uh, the Stooges' second LP, we'd heard uh, the New York Dolls' second LP. So we started playing those songs, yeah. and John then started writing songs, and we started, you know, coming up with our own material as well. So that took another eighteen months, but yeah. it was great because we were we were in Derry where no one ever paid attention to us. There was no there was no interest. In, uh, in a band for, from Derry at the time yeah. suited us because we could play in the Casbah, enjoy ourselves and get better all the time.
0: Yeah. So when when you started, you know, you, you started before punk, what, what sort of influences were you getting as a band? You know, I mean, what... What sort of music were you listening to at the time, and were there any particular bands and songs that you thought, "Wow, this is great! We want to, yeah. we want to sound like this." Because
1: Doctor F- Feelgood. I would say Doctor Feelgood. Sorry, I, I, I jumped over you there. Doctor Feelgood. Uh, the, the I think the first LP that that John had by Doctor Feelgood was Malpractice, which is the, their second LP. So, at Malpractice, we we like the Rolling Stones. Get your yayas out and we also liked you know the traditional rock things we liked uh we liked cream uh we had john had uh, cream's greatest hits so the, the first show we did we played um we played jumpin' jab flash the the live version from get your Wait. yayas out we played carol yeah. uh, again from get your yayas out we did back in the night and we did badge by cream we did "Shake Your Moneymaker Maker" by Fleetwood Mac. All oh, right, and we did "Sympathy for the Devil." So that's kind of what we were we were we were listening to and what we were playing. It was you know basically English R mm. and B, that was which is a great place to, to learn. Mm. So we 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 got we kind of did that for about um, maybe about six months. Now, by the time. By the time, as I said, we started playing the Casbah, some of that had come out of had gone out of fashion. Yeah. But the first song we played in the Casbah, which would have been February, January, February, nineteen seventy-seven, was Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh, great! Uh, and you know, now you, you, you kind of go, yeah, what a fantastic choice! What a great song to play, you know. Yeah. Um it, it had started, as I say, it had kind of started to go out of fashion. Yeah. Uh, but you know, still great.
0: Well, let's hear it. Let's hear the
1: live version from get your yeah yeah so
0: if if there's a preference okay let's let's hear it this is a, a live version jumping jack flash <laughs> So you mentioned Dr. Feelgood as well. Um, yeah. People often obviously talk about the Sex Pistols as like the year zero of punk, but I don't think really they could have done it without Dr. Feelgood because no. they influenced, um, especially, you know, you, I, I, you read about like, the CBGB's era uh, punk. Here. We, they were really taken by Dr. Feelgood. Um, yeah, well, in, well in apart from
1: anything else, the records were great, you know, and, and Wilco was great. But the other thing as well, short hair, you know, they had short hair. Yeah. Uh and that was it sounds strange now, but that was quite unusual for a for a, 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 a good band They have short hair and contemporary band in 1975, 76. Uh so that even that, you know, they had the sixties sensibility. They they just they, they were no nonsense. They yeah. you know they were anti prog. It was brilliant, you know,
0: absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it must have been, it must have been amazing. I'd love to have seen them um, at that time. I know, um I said, I sent you some photos of the Undertones in 1978 that my friend Paul Slattery took. and he, Oh, all right His first, where he got into rock photography was seeing Dr. Feelgood in 74. Yeah. Um, and again, they're one of his favourite bands that sort of took him off on that trajectory. And I think they just did have that, that impact on people, you know. Yeah, I mean, I love Dr. Feelgood I, and um, I'm always willing to play a, a track from from the band so i mean do you have a specific dr fieldwood track you well the, the one that
1: we did we, we, all, that first show we did back in the night uh, with john o'neill playing slide guitar which was very difficult oh right yeah but, yeah but he did it well, back in the night dr.
0: let's hear back in the night great choice there So you talk, you mentioned Vincent O'Neill, one of the O'Neill brothers. Yeah. And of course, you know, he was actually in the band pre-Damien. So, I mean, there they could have been like three O'Neills in the band at one point. Uh, one. No,
1: there no, couldn't have been. No. Uh, because, you know, Damien replaced Vincent, which is the weird thing. Vincent had his stop in 1976. Before we played any shows, we hadn't played anywhere at all, not even in schools. And... Um, I remember that, I remember it was, must have been about January 76, because Vincent and I went to school, so we would have been walking up and down for, to school together, and I remember him telling me, he almost didn't know how to tell me, but he says he's, he's out of the band, because his mother said he'd have to concentrate on uh, on O-levels, and <laughs> uh, luckily my mother didn't give me that ultimatum, yeah. so we we, we we sort of went through an audition process. We asked a couple of people to see if we could uh, get a replacement and we couldn't get anyone. And then it became obvious that, well, Damien always had a guitar, but Damien wasn't part of our kind of scene. You know, he wasn't hanging around as much because he, he was a he's a like a good year and a half younger than me. And when you're about fifteen sixteen that kind of that day's difference can be can be important so mm. eventually we just kind of says Damon will you will you join the band he says yeah and you know yeah. that was it and thankfully I like I've never really sat down and did um did a comparison between Vincent and Damien, but I think even Vincent would say that yeah Damien was probably you know a, a very good uh, person to get you know do
0: you think he regrets it now did he, and did he pass O levels yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's it's a touch. I've never asked him, you know, because um, it'll be, I don't know. I I wouldn't have liked to have been put in that position, you know. So yep. uh, I, I wouldn't drag up the,
0: I wouldn't drag up the memories, you know. <laughs> well, I hope he got good grades. That's all I can say. I hope it was worth it. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. <laughs> so I suppose then you started to get the the, the sort of punk influences filtering through. So you're saying because you mm. know you started off, but how did you get to hear about it? Was there a good sort of. Scene in Derry, or was it a good record? No, song? no, no. We, we were the scene. We, there was no other. There was no scene in Derry. There was one
1: fella called Donald McDermott who we met around about the summer of '76, and he had he had the second uh, he had he had the Nuggets LP and just Basically, John borrowed about four or five LPs from Donald, mm-hmm. and that's where we would have got the records to learn. But you would have read about them in the NME. You know, we we read the enemy religiously um, every week. So that's so it was almost theoretical that whole thing about punk. You would have heard some punk records on John Peel, of course, but there weren't that many at the start. You know, yeah. so that's that's kind of where we that's where we we, we learned from. Eventually, we, during '77, there was more records. We got them all mail order and so on. But I think it's a great way to learn. You know, from records rather yeah. than going along and seeing other bands you know mm. we didn't see any real bands that influenced us ever um yeah. no no not until we were making our own records
0: so when was the first sort of um in Derry did did bands ever ever tour there so I don't, it, no when,
2: not
1: not bands that you would have read about in the NME. Mm. um we did see 1974 summer 74 i remember Horselps playing um, we would have liked Horse you know, the Irish rock band. Yeah. Um, they played, and that was it, really. I think about '77. Vincent and I got the train up to Belfast to to see Eddie and the Hot Rods. Right. Um, but you know that, like, none of us drove, so it would have been a bit of a trek to see yeah. to see any other band, you know. Yeah. By about '77, se- but by, by about '70. Eight, we started seeing bands because they started coming to Port Rush, which was about 30 miles away from us. Yeah. Uh, we saw the Stranglers. In fact, we supported the Stranglers there. We supported, uh, we supported XTC uh, oh, in 78 oh, cool. uh, as well. Um, I think also, strangely, in 70, New Year's Eve was it, or sometime? No, June 78, we supported Fairport Convention. In oh, really? Donegal. Oh, wow. And we didn't know enough about them. I, th- I don't think Richard Thompson was with them at that stage. I don't yeah. think Sandy Danny was there. But it was um, a version of uh, Fairport Convention. You know, I don't know how he got the show, but it was just uh, the local, the, the local... It was in yeah. Donegal yeah. in a place called the Golden
0: Grill, June yeah. 78. So you were getting most of your experiences from... Seeing these right. punk bands live, from actually as a support band rather than just as a as a fan. Then,
1: yeah, but at this stage we were we were beyond influence, if you know what I mean. Yeah. By by '78, we had we knew what we were doing. Kind of, we had we had the song. So I, I wouldn't say that we went to we, we supported the Stranglers and we were influenced by the Stranglers. Not at all, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, we were kind of there on our own.
0: So we, we we mentioned the Ramones, but were there any other? What was it? Was there a really good sort of punk song at the time that really grabbed you and, and thought, you know, this is. That you did you sort of decide yeah we're going to be punks or was it just a natural progression? No,
1: it was a natural progression from borrowing records from certainly listened to, well from the the Ramones first LP that was the big one and then Nuggets yeah you know that uh, that was kind of the there were the two records that really moved us away from from doing Rolling Stones songs but you mm-hmm. see we we'd only been doing about maybe half a dozen yeah Rolling Stones. And we used to play a lot of them records as well, or themselves. We did Gloria and One Two Brown Eyes and It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. But we were lucky in our time in that and that we, by the time we, we'd been playing for maybe six months, six or seven months and not that regularly, you know, it was mainly still in, in the bedroom. By that stage, punk was starting to happen. Yeah. So we were in the right kind of time for that, you know.
0: And was there a particular sort of punk record that grabbed you at the time? Uh, the Ramones, was there any sort of British or Irish bands? God save,
1: at, well, God Save the Queen, whatever that came out, that was a major event in our lives. Yeah. Again, due to the NME, you know, because it'd been building up to it and then just the timing was right. Um, so God Save the Queen. remember Donald McDermott had, the, had a copy of it again yeah. and we went to his house to hear it. You know, yeah. it was that big a deal. Um, so yeah, and now still, whenever I hear it, uh, it's it just transports me back to to being you know eighteen years old and listening to it. And yeah. uh, and Derry. we never played it though because by that stage we knew that you didn't really copying contemporary punk records was not the thing. You know, yeah. We it, we, we did a couple. Of, uh, six months earlier, we would have done it. You know, yeah, we did. Really, yeah. We did Anarchy. Yeah. and we used to play uh, I'm Stranded by The Saints All
0: oh, right, good choice and
1: we did a couple of Clash songs too but by the summer of 77 certainly by the end of 77 we, you know we, you were looking back and you were doing versions of, uh, of Velvet Underground and New York Dolls mm-hmm. rather
0: than contemporary punk bands yeah well let's hear a quick blast of um, God Save the Queen it's just one of those timeless records that still sounds as fresh oh, absolutely as we, we then. mean it man <laughs> Did you did you always want to play bass? Did you in the Undertones? Did you? I mean, because I, I was a bass player, and I, I, often I, I find that people get shoved on the bass if they're not good enough on a guitar, you know. But yeah, it was um, a bit
1: of that. Uh, you, it was a bit of did that. You I was to play bass. I was bass player before we even had a bass, because you know, from <laughs> seventy summer of seventy four right through till you know till autumn seventy five. We didn't have any instruments, really. It was all just talking. It was all, all that. I remember I was, uh, I think whenever I joined the band, I was going to be lead guitar. Right. You know, yeah. as in, but just as if like someone gives you a sticker, it says lead guitar. It doesn't, you know, you don't have a lead guitar or anything, you know. <laughs> and then I, rem- I remember Billy telling me, I oh, know you're you're going to be a bass player now. I said, yeah, great. Okay, good. Um, but I didn't have a bass uh, until, you know, it was, October seventy five. Whenever the band, um, we we bought equipment. We bought um, some guitars and amplifiers. And yeah. That's the first time I had, had a bass guitar. So you know, it was never a big. You know, it wasn't. It was never what I wanted, but it wasn't what I didn't want. Yeah, I was just happy. Just yeah, yeah just include me in,
0: <laughs> chaps. Have you got a particular sort of basis that 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 you inspired you at the time to to sort of. Anything in particular,
1: Dee Dee? Because to play like Dee was so simple, you know. <laughs> uh, this is like it was permission to not have to play any complicated bass lines. Just play the note. Just play the note. Maybe a couple of variations, you know. Um, but at the time, then I not that I ever played like him, but one of my favorite bass players from that time was uh, Bruce Thomas from The Attractions. Oh yeah, I was yeah just yeah. think this. This is. What, what he did for the first and first four Elvis Costello, no, not the first one obviously, but you know, mm. second, third, and fourth LP it was like this is just brilliant. You know, so that's that kind of n- not an influence, but just it was a bass player that I would look at and go, he's good. I could never ever be as good as that, but I don't really necessarily want to be as good as that either.
0: Yeah, he's he's an underrated bassist, isn't he? he doesn't have like the, the sort of high profile that has, um, some of his. Contemporaries, but I know when I did uh, my friend Buddy Ascot of the cause, he was always mm. moving on about how great a bass player he is, you know, and we've, we've <gasps> seen him before. But, fantastic, yeah. fantastic. And also wrote a very good book, The Big Wheel. Oh, very interesting. So have you got a particular um, Elvis Costello song that you that you would illustrate his bass playing? Oh, it's between two. It's between,
1: um, it's between I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea and Pump It Up. And I don't know if I've never found out if the riff in Pump It Up was something that Elvis Costello came up with and and Bruce played, or that he originated. Then we'll go with Pump It Up. But, you know, anything, I think almost anything from this year's model...
0: Um, as a bass, you've you've um, done some great bass lines over the over the years. You have a particular favourite of your own? <laughs> as I say, I would never, I
1: would never, I would never think that I did particularly good bass lines. Although, I I would say the uh, one that I'm kind of proud of and i still enjoy playing is actually from one of the records we made with Paul. Thrill me, the single. Oh, yeah. I like uh, I like the bass line in that.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I can't even remember really making it up. <laughs> um, but I just listen back to it I think, that's really good, you know? Um, uh, no, the, the bass lines, you know, as I said, I, 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 I went to the, the D.D. Ramone School of Bass Playing. Uh, I would never really pretend that, that any, and any time I did, especially towards in the Pride LP, whatever I did try and play something fancy, it just sounds horrible, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So just no, as, uh, I've, I've nothing particularly, uh, wonderful to look back on, but I do like Thrill
0: Me. Yeah, great. Well, that's, that's a great excuse to to play that. And we'll come on to the Paul McClune era a little bit later. But mm-hmm. uh, here we go Thrill Me. Yeah, but don't forget, you know, you've got um tear proof, great bass line, you know, um true confessions, great bass line. So um don't be you don't have to be modest there, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah I think it's true, isn't it? I mean I, I play bass and I was I was always hugely influenced by JJ of the Stranglers. And then you suddenly realize oh, right. you suddenly think, damn, I'm gonna go back to being influenced by D D because <laughs> you guys I, <laughs> I mean JJ on the bass was like a virtuoso, wasn't even there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Get on to some of your own music when you started. Was there a particular song? I know maybe John was the main songwriter at the time. Mm. Was there a particular song where you were all together and you were obviously your mates? You're, you're you're in Damien's bedroom upstairs practicing. You're, you're you know you're around each other's houses. But was there a particular song that you together you you know you were playing it and you suddenly thought, yeah, shit, this is great. This is something special. Was there anything that stood out at the time where you th- suddenly thought we've got something here? Um, well,
1: it was a big deal in my head whenever. We, and whenever the rest of us started writing songs and not John, John had done maybe about four or five songs and, um, or maybe more. I can't really remember, but I remember the first song that Billy and Damien and myself came up with, I think was, um, True Confessions. John might've had a hand in that as well, but that was a bit of a breakthrough that it wasn't all dependent on John, mm. you know? Um, but one of the, one of my favorite, I think one of my favorite songs from that era that I had a hand on anyway, would have been Male Model. Um, I remember playing that I remember Damien and I wrote that and thinking this is really good, you know, it's like oh yes, this is um that kind of, uh, I remember sitting in uh, O'Neill's front room whenever we wrote it and it just worked well and then we went down to uh, Sums' Shed and practised it and yeah, it sounded good so if I'm, uh, you know, it's not scientific
0: but uh, I'll go with male model Great track as well, let's hear it this is the and male model delve into your record collection, um, just a bit of fun, and uh, give us a good example of it at the time, a good 45 single that you would have uh, That you would have liked.
1: Uh, and r- round about that time, round about 77, 78, I, I became a fan of the jam from uh, when, from In The City. Um, then I didn't like the second LP as much. Didn't like the first LP that much, like the single, then second LP. But whenever, summer of 78, whenever... Um, I think you know what I'm going to say. David Watts, because that was a kind of. I remember being in O'Neill's garden up in their the, the garden in Derry, and that was on the radio. I remember thinking, "This is just absolutely brilliant." You know, great day and listening to that on, uh, on being played in Radio One. I wasn't aware of the original, uh, mm. the Kinks. You know, so to me, it was a new, it was a new yep. record, and mm. just brings me back I can nearly remember what shoes i was wearing at the time as well yes. <laughs> uh, which is probably quite appropriate if you think it was about the jam yes. but um from you know there's a, there's a huge list you know really of great records in that time but just to pick one that would that i would stand over and still love uh david watts david Watts, by the jam
0: yeah well I us hear it and another band that were heavily influenced by dr field of course at the time so uh Right, I never thought of it. Right track, it. this is the jam, and um, David Watts, the version of the Kinks classic. Mm-hmm. it's well documented the you know the, the, the teenage kicks years at Terry Hooley yeah. um as we mentioned at the time going to Sire Records um and one thing again on, on talking about the bass bass players I mean you you would be Clash fans and you went on tour with the Clash. Yeah and you were you were actually supporting the band in New York when Paul Simonon smashed his bass, you know then the the very famous Scene that was captured by Penny Smith's iconic yes. London yeah. Calling cover. Did you w- did you witness that? No, I had that,
1: uh, but I was we, we'd finished playing, and I remember thinking, I've seen the Clash four times in the last week. <laughs> Outside is New York, which I have never been in before. And I, mm. So I went out. I went out just to walk around New York. You know, and to be honest, it wasn't that big a deal at the time either. In terms of you know, it wasn't. I don't remember anyone talking about it afterwards. You missed it. Paul Simon and smashed his base. It was only because Penny Smith had the great photograph that it became a thing. You know, that's true. Um, but no, this um, no, I I, I didn't. I, I I could lie and say yeah, it was a great great day. But no, it wasn't, <laughs> I can't even remember what I did in New York. But just went out and smelled in New York. You know,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. it was absolutely brilliant.
0: I know you're a big fan of the Clash and that. And how did they? How did you get to to join them on tour? Did they? Know about you and invite you? Or was it a management thing? Got you on the tour? How did it uh, come about?
1: Um, it might have been connected with us asking them to do a show in Derry oh. in uh, in summer of seventy nine. In our first flush of being pop stars, we thought, right, we're going to put on a show in Derry, a free show because no one ever plays in Derry. Blah blah blah. So we asked the Clash, would they do uh, would they do a show? Uh, outdoors in Derry and they says yeah and all that. And then, you know, it didn't happen. Um there was a, a bit of a it was a threat to Joe Strummer. So that didn't happen. But by that stage we'd already then, I think, signed up to to support them in, in America. I think they liked yeah. the idea of us, you know, because they would have been like uh, where we came from was kind of important to the class. Certainly important to Joe Strummer, you know, um like he wrote songs and he mentioned the British Army is waiting out there and and we were living where the British Army was waiting out there, you know. Um so there's a bit of that. Uh, and also we just, you know, they l- liked punk rock bands. Mm-hmm. When you think of the, the when you think of who they got to support them over the years, you know, mm-hmm. the the specials supported them. I think they might have still yeah. been in the Coventry Automatics. Suicide supported them, you know. Mm-hmm. So to be uh, to be asked was absolutely brilliant. You know, it was really it was great. And it was it was great because Funny enough, we didn't really like. Well, I didn't like um, give Him enough rope. Um, you know, we loved the first LP, loved the singles. Give them enough rope. I thought, hmm. and uh, so we. I wasn't. I actually wasn't expecting them to be absolutely fantastic. You know, yeah. and but then they were. They they were doing songs on that tour that would that would end up on uh, London Calling. So they were just, there was, there's something, it's hard to describe what they were like. They were very, they were, you know, it's such a a cliche to say, but they were already almost Americanized. But they had the best elements of America. Mm -hmm. And now we were playing, it was in America that we were playing. But, you know, they started to dress a bit differently. Mm -hmm. They were just, they were using all kinds of, remember Joe Strummer holding up uh, a, a newspaper, one of the New York newspapers, and, it was, I'm nearly sure it said, you know, Beatles to reform was one of those stories that came up. I remember I'm holding out this mm. and then like, you know, the phony Beatlemania line came came along later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was so many great things about watching them that time and they were tough. You know, the mm. sound was really tough mm. and they were doing Armageddon time as, a, as mm. an encore. I'd never heard that before. It, yeah, came it came on with a candelabra. So, you know, it was almost peak clash that w- that we were there. And I did appreciate it, you know. I know I didn't stay around to see Paul uh, breaking his guitar, but no, I, I, you know, we did think we're in tour with the clash. How good is this?
0: Yeah. So you've never been tempted to smash your bass on stage, have you? <laughs> no,
1: I never got that, you know, I never got that. I never got the whole auto-destruction thing with the Who either. Yeah.
0: I can't imagine it with the undertone somehow, for some reason. No. Such wholesome boys. I can't imagine that. Uh, yeah, no, not that. It's just a bit of a waste, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, of, it's like,
1: what happened to that last guitar? Oh, I, I broke it. I I smashed it on the ground, you know? And we never got that. I certainly never get that frustrated with anything.
0: I know I know. it's, a, again, one of these things when you do these sort of podcasts is, is trying to narrow things down to, to mm-hmm. favorite songs and things. But um, let's say as of this minute now, this time Give us a favourite Clash track. Well, I think it would always be. Funny enough,
1: this doesn't change much over the years. White Man and Hammersmith Pally.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, it's one of the few songs that I know that I would I could nearly recite all the words to. Uh, yeah. I, I bought a copy of it in, uh, in Terry Hooley's shop, 1978, I remember buying it, and just thinking it was just brilliant, you know, and it really is. It's just such a wonderful record. Uh, and it references all things that, at the time, I didn't know about, you know, midnight to six, man. And there are just so many great lines on it, just so many images that he,
2: yeah.
1: that he, he, he threw in. I assume it was Joe wrote all the words. And, you know, the new groups are not concerned about what there is to be learned, mm. you know? Mm. If Adolf Hitler flew in today, they'd send a limousine anyway.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> okay. yeah a, a, committee, amazing. a committee of Nobel poets couldn't have come up with all those great yeah. lines. Couldn't have come up with a song as good as that. It's just, it's just so good. And the bass line's brilliant, the bass player's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so, to cut a long story short, it would be White Man in Hammersmith Pally by The Clash.
0: Superb, you know, and it, again, it, it never dates, does it? It just sounds no, so, no. the lyrics are just fantastic, you know. It's Who produced that? Was it, was it? Lee Scratch Perry. Lee Scratch Perry, yeah. Did he no, actually produced it. Which is pretty bizarre, isn't it? But it's just this fantastic sound on it. You know, it's, Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's good. So it's funny, we you know, we're talking about, like, when, when Joe Strummer was going to come over to, to Derry, you know, and I heard about that, that he had... Um, mm death threats at the time. And I um, said, so you didn't get that many bands coming over them. But I remember talking again, talking about Paul Slattery. He took some great photos of the Ramones when they played in Belfast. And he said he had to coach them out of the hotel because they were so scared to get. <laughs> to go outside. And he's, he was just telling them, he said, look, you're from the Bowery, you're from the Lower East Side in New York, and you're scared of this, you know? And he said, the, and he's got a great photo, but he said, he literally had to drag them out, stood by a lamppost or something, took a picture. And then they ran back into the hotel because they were so scared. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. I would I would believe them thinking that even though they were from Queens, guys from Queens, you know. But, yeah. but you see, well, you know, they weren't that tough. You know, <laughs> they looked tough. Even yeah. Dee wasn't that tough really.
0: So let, let's go back to your record collection. Um we talked about a 40 good 45 single. What about a good a good album? Let's give an example of a of a of a good LP, you know, one one of those records that sort of from start to finish, you yeah. know, production Cover, you know, you get. I mean, like for me, like Blondie Parallel Lines, for example, never mind the bollocks, you know, you've got these sort of great hypnotized. I love, you know, great sound, <laughs> yeah. great cover, great track listing. Just a bit of fun. Give us an example of one of your favorites. At the risk of repeating myself,
1: the second Ramones LP, I remember getting that. And first of all, it was in color, <laughs> which made a difference, but the sound just sounded slightly better. Yeah. Than the first LP, and it just, I think, did it come out in the summer? Possibly come out in the summer. It just, what I imagined, uh, what I imagined a Californian summer would be, not even a New York yeah. summer, probably because California Sun's on there somewhere. Yeah. But the, the second Ramones LP, I, I absolutely love it still. Um, oh, oh, I love her so, and, oh, it's just it's just fantastic. <laughs>
2: A great big kiss I'm gonna make a mind And everything's gonna be real fine. I made her at the Burger King Fell up on the soda machine So we took the car and We keep hanging out all the ramps Then we went and it called the alley On the coast and around the game And don't get up and tear us apart Cause she's my sweetheart, all right Yeah, yeah.
0: I think you're right about the Ramon second album because I think that's the... On the first album, it's quite strange, isn't it? Because if you listen to mm. it, it's like the bass is in one side. Yeah. Like the guitar's yeah. in one side. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's like And the drums are there and it's really yeah. disorientating in a way if you listen to it. But mm. by the time the second album, then you're getting a lot... I think you're getting more of that girl group feel, yeah. the spectre side coming in from the Ramones and um, you're, you're getting that side. So it's a... Yeah, it, it, a it
1: sounds thing. in colour. as You know, it, it yeah. actually does sound in colour. The first LP was just so... So new that the, the austere sound of it helps as well. You yes. know, it's just I never heard anything like that. But then they, they were smart and they, I think it was Tommy produced the second one, mm. uh, along with, with Tony Bon Jovi. But it was just that there was a warmth to it, you know. Mm. And, uh, I, I just, I, I love the second LP, but they've already picked the Ramones so. Another LP at the time. I'm not a huge fan of LPs. You know, I sometimes i i, I lose um, i lose concentration or I lose patience mm. after a while. You know, um, do you know what? You know what? I'm going to pick, and I, I think I bought it around about '76. Pinups by David Bowie. Yeah, that, I remember getting that LP and thinking this is this is wonderful. It's like like a running joke between me and Paul McLean because he's a huge David Bowie fan. And I would always say, you know, that I know that his best LP was Pinups. Um, the sound of it, and I didn't, again, I didn't know a lot of the songs. I just love the idea the idea of what he did and how he did it,
2: hmm.
1: the sound. And I, I love Pinups. Absolutely love Pinups, still. And I think if I had to choose one song from it, it would be Freddy on my mind. Monday
2: morning feels so bad body seems to me Coming Tuesday I feel better <laughs> Even my old man looks good uh, Wednesday just don't go on Thursday goes to slow
0: So we, you've got the tour kicking off soon, pretty soon, isn't it? You're, you're imminent. Cool. We don't really, we don't
1: do tours. Okay, we do series of shows. <laughs> we, we we would say for it looks like a tour, but really it's just um, weekends away. Yeah. So uh, again, because if we did the tours that we used to do back
0: in the day, you would quickly get fed up with it. You know, I would quickly get fed up, and some of the others would as
1: well. You know.
0: So you don't like the touring process? You more like that?
1: I I didn't mind it at the time, but you know, after a while, yeah, it it does. You can have too much of a good thing. Let's Mm. put it like that.
0: And you you know, so you're you're playing. So you're going to Germany, Holland, Sweden, Mm. Denmark. You've got a couple of summer festivals in the UK, and yeah, uh, as. Ends a festival in Spain, which looks a good lineup as well. So. Yeah, Iggy Pops there, I think. Yeah, it's a good lineup. Yeah. 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 No, I, I do
1: like festivals, you know. Uh, and it's great that, you know, smallish kind of festivals are always great. Just easily man, man, maneuver around and, and, you know, people are out to enjoy themselves and so mm. on, you know. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, I don't mind it. I don't mind wherever we play, to be honest, yeah. you know, as long as we don't play too much. <laughs> now I'm starting to get. I'm my my innate laziness is starting to to show itself, Steve.
0: <laughs> so do you is, do you notice any when you? I mean, when you're doing these shows, do you notice any difference in the sort of audience reaction? Are there any particular places you really like playing that sort of um, no, embrace no. the undertones, or is it uh, pretty standard? No, it's. Uh, I'm always surprised that a lot of people turn up and enjoy it.
1: You know, um, no matter where you go, there's always some. There's always that a good crowd. Um no, I don't I, I wouldn't sort of say that, you know, we any particular audience is better than any other audience, you know? Uh, not even playing in Derry. I, I don't I never I never noticed noticed that, you know. Mm. Um it's just, you know, being able to start a show and people like it and then you know, you, you get a certain satisfaction as well from um from building up a wee bit, you know, doing doing common showbiz tricks. Let's say, like, you know, going from one song into the other, yeah. you know, without any big introductions. So oh, I, oh, I always enjoy doing that, you know, and uh, and we're very lucky. And we have a brilliant drummer. Billy is just such a great drummer and he just rattles through things. And yeah. you're basically based everything on top of that. You know, Paul's a great singer. Paul's such a great singer. And we always have good crack with it, too, because he's really funny, you know. Mm-hmm. So all those kind of things happen. And then, you know, we do two or three shows and then we go home. Yeah. You no, know, Which is ideal for me. Ideal. Well, it keeps it fresh I,
0: as well for you as, as well, doesn't it? Oh, you know?
1: yeah. And you have a smaller suitcase.
0: <laughs> is there a particular, I know, again, a difficult question, but just um, any any sort of song that you really still get a buzz out of playing? I mean, after the, all the, this, these years, is there any song that you really look forward to as much as, say, the crowd would? Is there any?
1: Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of ones, you know. um My favourite, people often ask, you know, what's your favourite Undertones record? Um, You've got my number. I would say that for a record, you know, for a recorded song. For live, for playing live, what do I really like playing still? Um, You know what I do enjoy playing? True Confessions. You mentioned it earlier. I like playing True Confessions live because, uh, you know, there's a good history of it with with us. Also, it's a nice simple song and it's it's an unusual kind of song. you if you look at it um dispassionately you kind of go this is weird starts off with this wee bass line and then you know it sounds a bit bitty Mm. but i
0: always enjoy playing it yeah well that's one of my favorites as well so we don't have to argue about this one let's let's hear true confession
2: You are just a nat. I don't know it for a fact. I got a picture from your sister. He was writing on the back. Oh, you're. true <laughs> <you're two> Fashion. <professions. laughs> Your cheap confessions. Don't look so surprised, you've been telling lies. It's hard to wake up to your makeup, so please take up that disguise. On your two your confessions. Two confessions.
0: And you mentioned you've got my number, which again, it sounds a bit. It sounds a bit like I'm, a bit creepy here. But this is a, one of my favourite seven inch singles. If I had to pick one. And I think the good thing about undertones, and not just undertones, but that period, maybe that the sort of punk time, that 78, 77, the sound quality just sounds so fresh yeah. and vital, even like going back to even some of the great Vic Male production of um, Dr. Feelgood. But you put on a seven inch of like from 1978, like The Clash, like yourselves, the sound, it just bursts out of the speakers, you know, and I think you've got my number. It's just so fresh and yeah. energetic. Almost it's timeless, isn't it? Really, it sounds great. Yeah.
1: I think today, you know, people were making records to get they 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 would have to uh remove things. You know, there's so much can be can be put on a a record that as you know, I'm not the first person to say this. A lot of it is knowing when to stop and knowing what to to leave out. Back in those days, we were we were before that stage of having great. Let's let's try this and let's throw this and and so mm. on. You know, you were you were. Uh, Service in the song, as they say, you were just getting it and, and getting it done, and not a lot of reverb or anything like that. You know, no, and it wasn't very long, and it was just, yeah, it was just neat and done, and you know, tie, tied up with a, a bit of a bit of string. You know, no yeah. ribbons, just bits of string, and it was, it was done.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play this. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got to play it. This is, uh, you got my number. Going on to, to the book, did you enjoy the, the writing process of Teenage Kids? Uh, life an yeah, I did.
1: I did. It, it was long. I started it and then I stopped it and then I started, you know, and then get, eventually got back to it. And then I got in touch with uh, Omnibus and so that gave me a bit of a deadline. Uh, yeah, no, I liked it. And um, occasionally I would do readings of it and I still, I still like it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it was, and it was as honest as it could be yeah. uh, to my memory of it, you know. Uh, so yeah, no, it is good. It is good. <laughs> he, it's not for me to say But um I'm I yeah, I'm I'm I am happy
0: with it. Yeah. Did you have to run the manuscript past all the band members to get it passed and ticked off first? Or <laughs> no, but I
1: did when I did a an early version or a not complete I think I, I threw a couple of chapters to Damien just to make sure it was okay. And he came back and says no he he approved. So uh, and he would tell you, you know um i ran it past our manager at the time andy ferguson uh and he he would have told you please stop (laughs) you know (laughs) but i i I was very encouraged to buy very encouraged by him Mm -hmm. uh so i would yeah i i ran it past a couple of people because mm-hmm. the worst, the, and it would be awful to write a book and it turns out to be a piece of shite, you know, and you didn't realise until it was too late. So I, I did get it checked. My brother, I, I even ran it through my brother as well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Martin, I says, go and have a read at that just to see if I'm... Yeah. You know, embarrassing myself. It says no, it was good. So yeah, I was ultra, uh, ultra careful, ultra careful.
0: Did you, did you always used to keep journals and diaries of you at the time on the road or anything? No, not
1: not me. Damien did, but no, not me. I have a good memory. Mm. You know, I have a good memory. I think because I keep telling the same stories all the time, it just becomes set and concrete. <laughs> you know. So um, no, I do. Yeah, I I didn't need to. You know, yeah. I, I knew the story.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's definitely worth um, worth getting hold of if you haven't already got it in your music book library. Teenage Kicks, My Life as an Undertone, Michael Bradley on Omnibus Press. So, do you have a, a do you are you a, a music biography music book reader? Uh, you, is there anything that you particularly like? Yeah, I do. I do like some. The,
1: my, my favorite music book is not strictly speaking a, a, a biography. It's uh, written by Paul Hanley from The Fall. No, oh, yes, yeah, called leave the capital it's a series of I think it's 12 or 13 chapters each one's based on a record that was made in Manchester or has a Manchester connection
2: oh
1: yeah yeah I I don't even think he mentions the fall in it much Uh, Mm. but that was a great I really enjoyed that book Mm. and because you know he wrote about Herman's Hermits Mm. he wrote about the Hollies 10cc uh he wrote about bank robber which was recorded in Manchester I didn't realize that Mm. so I I love that I read, I, I do buy some music biographies and just find them very, very boring, you know, very. I, I enjoy them whenever at the start, but whenever you get some books and they then start talking about all the people they work with and all the famous people they work with, and I, mm, I yeah. find myself just flipping through that. You know? mm. um, I did read Tracy Thorne's My Rock and Roll Friend about oh, yes. Lindy Morrison. I thought it was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good book. Yeah. And, of course, after the pistols were on uh, Disney, I or just before that, I whenever I knew that was coming up, I read uh, Lonely Boy, and oh, that, was a- yeah. that was
0: yeah. great.
1: That was great. Yeah. And yeah. then I also I read
0: um, I was a teenage Sex puzzle, Glenn Matlock's book. All oh, right, That yeah. was great too. Yeah, both good. Yeah, yeah. Some I mean sometimes it is those ones that are unexpected, like the Steve Jones one where, you know, you think he's gonna be all boorish and all laddish mm. and all that. But it's it's surprisingly honest, isn't it? And uh, yeah, uh, and a really good read, you know. Last year, you released uh, a fantastic compilation, Dig What You Need, that compiled all the Paul McClune era of the band. Mm-hmm. And you're playing sort of a, a few songs in the set now, and they they they're fitting really nicely. And I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the the new material. And I, I I guess like a lot of fans, you're sort of wondering why it's taken so long to get some new stuff out there because the the last recorded mu- music you've done was back in 2007. So Yeah, it's like a long time ago, is it? Because there's no
1: there's no pressure on it, and there's no pressure there's. We're not that kind of band, you know. I know bands make records all the time and um, it's hard to explain. Um, we, we, did, we did a couple of demos, God, maybe 15 years ago, <laughs> Every so often, I think I must start, must start writing but then the, the, something else comes up. Yeah.
0: Not that type of man. Yeah. So it's not a conscious effort. It's just one of those things. If it happens, it happens. If it happens, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But were you were you surprised and were pleasantly surprised by the reaction to the the new
1: the era? compilation? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Some nice nice things were said
0: about it. You know. And what, did you have a particular favourite of the the sort of um, the, the new batch of songs that you like playing or? Um, one of my own, actually, I like
1: enough. You know. Oh yeah, I do like that. We we, we we play that from time to time. Um, but maybe that's a bad form to do one of your own.
0: Well, it's your so podcast, own. you know. I mean, don't be modest. Yeah. <laughs> you know what?
1: There's a good song that I haven't heard in a while. John wrote called uh, "Tomorrow's Tears." Remember oh, yeah. that at the time. So play it. Play "Tomorrow's Tears."
0: Well, I say it's like it's almost like people say this about the Baz. worn from the Stranglers, they always they still say like the new singer of the Stranglers, or the new singer of The Undertones. But of course, Paul, yeah. Paul's been there for twenty years. Yeah, but yeah, I know, and he's um. It must be really encouraging to see the reaction and the way that the mm. fans are sort of taken to him and the band still. You know. That, oh, yeah. yeah,
1: no, it does. It is good, and as I say, it's is, it is very entertaining. It's very a good company, really good company. Yeah, yeah always helps.
0: Fantastic. Well, um, Lester, play us out. I know that you you were influenced at the time by the Nuggets compilation. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Mickey, or should I call you Leslie Wesley, because she That's right. did, yes. um, you did like a, Damien was telling us about, and we actually played a, a, a snippet of a live recording of the Wesleys on one of oh, our really? previous podcasts. Damien? If anyone yes. wants to, to check out our, our archive, um, a very bit of a nice little undertones rarity. So you know you you are obviously influenced by Nuggets, the, the classic Lenny mm. Kaye compilation, which has um, been reissued over the years and appealed to sort of various generations along the way. Um, was there a particular Nuggets track that you like playing or that you, you well, to do? Oh, there's
1: there no there's literally twenty four, twenty five of them. Um, I, I like some of the studio ones, I like Run 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 by the Third Rail. But then I thought, you know what, I like ones that we used to actually play, um, and it's between Dirty Water by the Standells. Uh, or You're Gonna Miss Me by the 13th,
0: 13th floor Elevators. They did that.
1: Mm. You're gonna miss me. Play You're Gonna Miss Me. It's, just, it's a very, very satisfying song to play and just a, a great record.
0: Well, it's a good choice. And as you know, at Metrosonic uh, Podcast, we're, we're huge fans of that sort of garage rock scene. And um, it's a great track uh, to play. Oh. mickey thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today You're welcome steve fascinating and uh, i'm going to trawl through some of your record collection and some of your favorite songs so <laughs>
1: yeah. to,
0: we've got to play out on an undertones track so um i'm going to put you on the spot again now and uh let's uh let's um what are you going to go what would you like to play out the, the going out over the end credits what track would you like to hear it sounds obvious but you know i still think it's a great record teenage kicks teenage kicks my life is a uh, an undertone is that (laughs) nothing
1: nothing to do with that nothing to do with that no it's just a great record and also you know it was the one that uh that seymour first heard seymour loved
0: oh yeah that's a good tribute to seymour stein has sadly passed away today so um don't forget check out retromanblog.com and i put a feature to go with the podcast along with links to where you can buy the book check out the undertones tour dates and um also you're still djing i take it People can yeah, still on BBC Radio Ulster,
1: Friday nights. Friday yeah,
0: nights. Right. Well, we'll put links to everything. Oh, good. Feature, and thank you so much, Mickey. Fantastic to to chat to you. I do appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Uh, You're welcome. Teenage kicks.